Well, good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Good morning. Good to see everyone today. We are very glad everyone is here, and we're glad you're here if you happen to be visiting or if you are uh, visiting by watching us online. We're glad you're here. Hope you will come back uh, any and every opportunity that you can. The semifinal baseball game was in progress, and the team that had been the best team all year was ahead. The team that were playing was a good team, but nowhere near as good as the team that had been winning all year. It was a Little League game, and the one umpire that was on the field was behind home plate and had to take care of the entire ball field. So that if there was a hit and a runner was running down the first base, the umpire had to be in shape and run down the baseline in order to make the call at first base. So the team that was favored, as I said, was hit, and it was getting late in the game, and there was a play over at first base. The little boy was running down to first base, the umpire chasing after him, and got down there, and the call was made that he was safe. Much to the amazement of the team that had been behind, because the boy had never made it to first base. For some reason, the umpire's call of safe came out of his mouth, even though the boy still had two or three steps to go to get to first base. The first base coach was screaming at the boy, get back on the base, he called you safe. The other coach was screaming at the ump coming across the field. That umpire, who for some reason made the call of safe when the boy had been out, changed the game because the very next play, a ball was hit to the first baseman, a slow little ground ball that went right through the legs of the favored team's first baseman. The team fell apart and they lost the game. They should have won the game. They were by far the best team, but because of one mistake that the umpire made, that team fell apart and lost. The umpire had a whole lot of stares at him as he was leaving the ballpark, even out into the parking lot. Some years later, going to uh, toward a men's room in an office building, the umpire ran into the coach of the favorite team who had been screaming like a maniac. And you could still see the anger in that coach's eyes. Why didn't the umpire change the call? Well, the umpires don't change calls very often especially if you happen to be a 20 or 21 year old young man and you're getting screamed at by somebody right in your face. That's not usually a very good situation to be making logical decisions. The boy was out, but the call came out safe. If you ever had something happen that you regretted when you look back upon it, I think we all have in terms of regret. By the way, I was the umpire. I still think about that. And so I regret, for some unknown reason, shouting out safe when I know the boy was out. If I had had my wits about me, if I had been older, if I hadn't had a man screaming at me in my face, maybe I could have gone off and had some sort of a quiet moment and say, I don't know why the word safe came out. He was out, but because of screaming, 
It is what it is, right? Sometimes refs blow calls. That happened, I think, seems like maybe over here at the Music City Bowl a little while ago. I don't know. I, I make no judgments. Regret is something we all experience. How do you handle regret? How do you handle looking back at things? How do you find a way to move on from regret? I wish I could have that part of my memory erased. It actually caused me to stop umpiring. I decided at that point I didn't want to be in the situation where I could conceivably make a call and change a wrong call and make the change. You know, there's a difference in a judgment call and a flat out wrong call. Well, that was a flat out wrong call. So I want you to take a look with me this morning at regret. A study in an issue of Person, the personality and social psychology bulletin showed that about 90% of adults have some deep regrets about their lives. I'd like to know who the 10% are because I really think many of us, almost all of us, have regret in there someplace. And that the more they dwell on that regret, the worse their quality of life tends to get. If we're looking back at the things that we regret and we dwell on them, it just gets worse, it just gets worse. If we all have big regrets, and it looks like we almost all do, right? Then managing regret is a crucial life skill. I managed that regret of the baseball thing by not hiding in a hole and refusing to eat. But you know, what do you do if it still pops up in there? I wanna take a look at some passages from the Bible where some people had experienced some regret. Let's take a look at it. I want to start off with Job. Job lived a long time ago, old book in the Old Testament with his name on it. And in Job 3, verse 3 and verse 11, in Job chapter 3, this is Job speaking. He says, let the day I was born be destroyed and the night in which it was said a boy is born also be destroyed. Why didn't I die as soon as I was born? Why didn't I die when I came out of the womb? That's some pretty strong regret. That's some pretty strong regret that Job has. It would have been better, this is a George Bailey statement from It's a Wonderful Life, it'd have been better as if I had never been born, right? Job is experiencing a whole lot of regret, a lot of things that happened to Job, causing him to wish he had never been born. He lost all of his wealth. If you read the opening of the book of Job, it's just one thing after another. Lost all of his wealth, lost his children, lost his health. Not because of anything he had done either. Most of the time, regret deals with our own past choices, but sometimes, as in Job's case, it's just regret because I, I really wish I had never been here to go through this. Look at King David's regret. This is where we had uh, Psalm 6 read to us. I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all of my foes. When he says, I am weary with groaning, in this case, in this circumstance, God's hand of discipline was pretty heavy upon David. His life seemed to be nothing but tears and misery. 
David's trial had at least three components. He felt that God was angry with him. He lacked a sense of God's presence, that God felt very, very far away from him. And David couldn't sleep. You know, I think most of the time when you have regrets, it will impact you in these ways. If you focus on regret, it may cause you to have trouble sleeping. It may cause you to wonder, where is God? It may cause you to wonder, why is God angry with me? Well, he then says, my eye wastes away. David's eyes were red and sore from all the tears and lack of sleep. As an old man's eye grows dim with years, so David says, my eye has grown red and feeble through sorrow. It's as if the sorrow and the, the regret that he is experiencing had caused his eyesight to deteriorate as if he had grown old. You might say he had grown old prematurely by having so much regret and feeling so much sorrow. He then says, because of my enemies, because of my enemies, his, he was brought so low that the presence of his enemies no longer even prompted him to seize the victory. David was known as the great military leader. Whenever there was a problem facing his people, facing his, his country, he would rise up and battle against them. Well, here, I don't, can't even seem to get out of bed, so to speak. He's depressed and discouraged. Well, a lot of things had happened to David. There had been immorality with Bathsheba. He had not gone out to fight war, had gone out in the evening upon the rooftop and seen the beautiful woman sent for her and engaged in immorality with Bathsheba. That led to David orchestrating, getting things set up for the death of her husband, Uriah. It led to the death of the baby that had been conceived with this immoral behavior. So many of these things and so many of the problems David is experiencing are directly because of his own choices. Sometimes it seems like it's our choices that have led to the regret. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's things that just happen to us. Sometimes it's a mixture. Look at the Apostle Peter's regret. Luke 22, verse 61 and 62. This is when Jesus is uh, being tried and he's about to be crucified the very next day. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster grows today, you will deny me three times. And he, Peter, went out and wept bitterly. Peter had denied Jesus publicly in front of others more than once. People had come up to Peter saying, you were with him as well. You were with Jesus. And Peter's response is, I don't even know the guy. And after he's denied him a time or two, it gets worse because he says it with oaths and swearings to reaffirm very vividly, I don't know this man. And after this third time, Jesus catches his eye and Peter's recognition is instant of what he has done. And he goes out and weeps bitterly. A lot of regret with Peter. <clears throat> when we regret something in the past, what do you do? Well, if it's not sinful, think of the baseball game, right? There was no sinful motive with the words coming out incorrectly. I wasn't paid off by the opposing team or anything like that. 
if you have something you regret in the past that was not sinful, you got to realize in many ways there's nothing you can do to change it. There's not. Can't change the past, and if it's not sinful, there's nothing you're going to be able to do about it. You can only decide or strive or work hard to try to make sure that it does not happen again. For example, I regret, somebody might say, not paying more attention in math class. Well, if you don't pay attention in math class, that's not particularly sinful. But unfortunately, saying that you regret not having paid attention in math class doesn't help you if you need math skills right now. You could fix it by learning math now, right? Trying to study and learn the math that you regret not having known in the past, or finding some work, something to do where math is not necessary. And that's a lot harder than many kids in school seem to think that it is. Math is pretty important, but that's the one possible means of regret. I wish I'd paid attention in math class. How about this one? I really wish I had not eaten that seventh piece of cake. Matt, if only you had stopped at six. Right? <laughs> now, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. It's too late now, right? If you have just finished the seventh piece of cake, it's too late. What you can only try to do is resolve and decide, I'm not going to eat seven pieces next time. <clears throat> so if you have regrets for things that you have done in the past, as I do, that were not sinful, You've got to realize I can't change the past. I don't have a time machine somehow where I can go and choose differently. It's done. And if I have those kind of regrets, all I can do is to decide in my mind, decide within me, I won't do that again. My choice was to quit on my Right? And again, it was... Who knows, right? The brain just snapped the wrong way, but that was the way I decided that that's never going to happen again with my life. But if we regret something in the past where it is sinful, where it was sinful, then there is something that we can't do about it. One thing to do about it is apologize to the person involved and ask them to forgive you. I mean, if, if there's something between you and a friend, you and a member of family, you and another person that you regret having done that is sinful, right? not, not the ball game kind of thing, but something serious, you lied to the person, means sin involved. Then apologize to the person involved. Ask them to forgive you. Pray to God and ask for forgiveness for the wrong choice, the wrong decision that you made. But once again, decide not to do it again. That's basic, the, the basic process really for anything that involves sin. If there's another person involved, apologize and ask for forgiveness. Pray to God and ask for forgiveness and resolve within yourself, decide within yourself not to do it again. When we have the invitation when the song happens after uh, this lesson is over, that's one of the things that we encourage, is that if there's something on your heart that you know is in your life that involves sin, that you want to have it forgiven, that's what we say. Come forward, ask 
that we take your name before God in prayer so that God will forgive and forget. And God does forget when he forgives. And then you have to let it go. That's one of the surprises. If you're younger at all, you may recognize this uh, little image from the movie Frozen. What a great song in many ways for a Christian to remember. The, the music's playing in my head. I will not uh, offend all of you by seeing it since it's in my head. I can't get it out of my head. But you got to let it go. If it's something that you have fixed by talking to the, an individual involved, if there was an individual involved, and you have prayed to God for forgiveness, you need to know God has forgiven you. And we got to quit dwelling on it. you got to let it go. You've got to let it go. So often, we don't let it go. I've known of people who have prayed to God numerous times to be forgiven of the same thing, the same choice they made in the past. We are told that God forgets and wipes out the sin when it is forgiven. If we go and we ask God, please forgive me for this, God essentially gets out his giant eraser or his giant finger and wipes it clean. It's not there anymore. He has no record of it, no memory of it. If we pray tomorrow to be forgiven of the same thing, God is all-knowing, I understand that, but I, I like to imagine the picture of God looking at stuff and going, what is he talking about? Because I don't have any memory of this event that you're praying for forgiveness about. We need to forget when we ask forgiveness. We need to let it go. We need to let it go. So, Frozen has a great idea. If you've heard that song, Maybe we ought to sing it to ourselves more often once we've asked for forgiveness and done what we needed to do to set something right. Consider the Apostle Paul's regrets. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, the Apostle Paul says, I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Before Paul's encounter on the road to Damascus where that light shone from the sky and Jesus appeared to him saying, you are my chosen vessel and God's mission for Paul was to take the message more directly to the Gentiles. Before that, Paul had been persecuting the church. He had been at the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7 and supported it. He was going to drag Christians away in chains so that they could be persecuted, imprisoned, some, as Stephen was, put to death for their faith in Jesus. How did he live with himself once he became a member of God's family? When Paul is writing Corinthians, those times of being at the death of Stephen and approving of it, those times of dragging people off in chains, those times of setting people up so that they might have very well have lost their lives are in the past. How did Paul deal with that? How did Paul leave bad choices behind, sinful decisions behind, and how did he live with himself? He became a different person. That's how. Look at this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is a member of God's family, 
he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. The only way Paul was able to live with himself is to understand that's not who I am anymore. That's not me. I am here, not there. And I think that's the only way we can let these things go. When Paul had become a member of God's family, he left past regrets behind. Philippians 3, 13 through 14, he says, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The regrets were left behind because he had been forgiven. Once you or I are forgiven for past mistakes, past choices, past sins, we need to leave them behind because that's not us anymore. Once we are forgiven, you forget as best you can the things that are behind because once we are forgiven, God has forgotten those things that are behind. Most of us find that really hard to do after all. Even though it was not a sinful circumstance, I still remember the baseball game. Right? We find it very, very hard to forget things that are in the past, even if they've been forgiven, if they were involved in sinful behavior. Here's a suggestion I want to make for all of us. We need to be more like a goldfish. Okay. What do I mean? We need to be more like a goldfish. The poor, lowly goldfish. He's doomed to live in a glass bowl. You might have a future involving a flush. Most of the goldfish that I remember had that as an end result. But it has one quality we really, really could use. It is said, and I don't know whether it's really true, but for the purposes of this morning, we're going to assume it is. It's been said that a goldfish has a memory span of about 15 seconds. Now, they've done some more studies and probably is longer than that, but let's pretend for a moment that the goldfish really has a memory span of about 15 seconds. You and I need to be able to be more like a goldfish when it comes to the past. When we are forgiven, we need to let it go and forget the things that are behind. We need to goldfish it. Maybe that's a phrase that'll catch on. I don't know. You heard it here today. We need to goldfish it. We need to forget about it leave it behind because it is in the past and press forward toward the goal for the prize that is to come in Jesus. Now, if you're a member of God's family and have not been living the way you should, you need to let it go, but you can't do that until you come forward and ask God to forgive you. And we do that through prayer. If it's been public, then we usually suggest a public prayer. It's okay if you really are struggling with something to have a public prayer for forgiveness or help, even if it is not a public event that other people know about. If it's something that you and God know about, you can pray to God and be forgiven of it if you're a member of God's family. But that's only possible only possible if you're a member of God's family. 
If you're not yet a Christian, if you're not yet a member of God's family, then there is no forgiveness from God, no matter how hard or long you might pray. It's not there. Forgiveness is only for those who have become a member of God's family. The choices you have made in the past cannot be let go. That's only possible when God forgives it and wipes the record clean. He does that by the understanding that we each have to reach that Jesus was his son, he sent his son, lived a perfect life so that he would pay the price for all the sins that you and I have committed. And he was put to death. He died because of our choices, my choices. God raised him from the dead. And in the same way, when we confess our belief that Jesus is the son of God, we are buried in water in baptism and raised to walk as a new person. The point where God forgives all those past sins. Raised up, resolved, deciding within ourselves like Paul to forget the things that are behind, to change our lives from wrong to right, and to press for the promise that's in Jesus Christ. But if you're not yet a Christian, please, 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 don't let that become the biggest regret of your whole life. The opportunity is yours today. Please don't let it go by as we stand and sing.